0: Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we euphorically read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations swim in the realm of the mind, where a film must take distracting stylistic detours to convey the inner turmoil of a character, sprinkling in VO to express motive and mood. Novelizations seat readers in the mind of their protagonist, as opposed to the third person view of his decay. By presenting the way in which his mind unravels, thought by thought, these books narrow the canyon between the reader and the character, allowing the reader to viscerally feel the loss of control in a subtler way than the film's abrasive editing, which is admittedly pretty impressive. Novelizations have the potential to be more immersive than film could ever be. How hey, you guys like that one? It's
1: fantastic.
2: I just don't think I agree with a lot of it. <laughs> I just don't really agree. <laughs> yeah.
0: We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. Oh, what? there's a line. Hold on. I wanted to find it. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts who are hooked body and soul to a Boy Scout newspaper reporter who we just can't live without. Favorite line in the book. My name is Andrew Overby.
1: I'm Ethan Warren.
0: I'm
2: Matt Darnell. And I'm Hannah Blackman. Shot Corridor is a 1963 psychological suspense thriller directed by Samuel Fuller. It follows John Barrett, a newspaper reporter who arranges to be committed to an insane asylum slash mental hospital, let's be respectful, <laughs> under false pretenses. I call it off. What could propel- Okay! They make a big deal about it. <clears throat> What could propel a man to falsely imprison himself thusly? Well, Barrett hopes that by getting in good with three witnesses to an unsolved murder within the hospital, he can crack the case and win himself a coveted Pulitzer Prize, his biggest dream. But will Barrett be able to extricate himself after this investigation succeeds or fails? And what toll might this harrowing experience take on his allegedly healthy mind and also his girlfriend? The novelization of Shock Corridor was written by Michael Avalone based on the screenplay by Samuel Fuller. It was published by Belmont Books in
0: 1963. Boy, this uh, 1960s season of authorized a lot of uh, passive female characters, Uh, huh? End up wringing their hands about what the man
3: is doing.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about her.
3: Channeling every ounce of her energy into what the man is doing at all times. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder how he's doing. Why isn't he with
2: me? <laughs> why would he ever want to have a career when he could simply
0: date me? Yes, her dark nights of the soul are always, uh, why does he want a Pulitzer when he has this pussy? He's al- She's always putting those against <laughs> each other.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about Kathy. We'll spend some time on Kathy, I'm sure.
0: The The, the fetishization of the Pulitzer is out of control. <laughs> Our guest today. Returning from our episode on Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, an episode of our podcast that exists, and you should listen to it, even though you might not be inclined to, based on the subject matter, you'd be wrong. Also, just a friend, Gus Spellman. How are you doing today?
4: Good. I'm good. I have a little cold, but other than that, I'm doing great. I'm going to mute myself for any sniffles. doing one right now. (laughs) Hang on.
0: I would say half the job of editing this podcast is editing out sniffles, coughs, whatever. It's, it just comes with the territory, you know? Nice. Okay. Well, you're welcome then. Ethan, I'm going to start with you here because you brought us this book when you heard that we were going to do a 1960s season. What is your relationship to the film Shock Corridor? And what were you hoping for headed into this novel?
1: Shock Corridor was a movie that I had seen. Um... <laughs> a long time ago and only remembered a little bit but you mentioned you were doing this season and so I was sort of like scouring around online trying to find uh, old uh, old novelizations, and it just seemed to me this was probably like a pretty good little pulp novel because it's a pretty good little pulp movie and it, it just seemed like a good match and I think I was right this is a pretty good little pulp book that's a little bit offensive a lot of the time <laughs>
2: It's 1963. <clears throat>
0: yeah, it comes with the concept of the season. No, it getting around it.
1: This book uses orientally as a A uh, lot. Yeah, yeah. He smiled orientally or something like that.
0: I think the the, the, the most offensive aspect of that. Um, you're right that when it becomes an adverb, that's like a special kind of a special kind of, um, special kind of uh, hate writing. But the the worst thing is that they have the the character himself always self-identify as well that's what you get when you go to an oriental doctor or whatever it's like well i don't think this was written by a person of that ethnicity so that's rough for me to read
2: i also found it rough that the book also goes out its way to say like he said something that was a little bit crass which is very (laughs) un-oriental i know like that also felt very bad
3: anytime it mentions uh whether or not you can see his emotions on his face, it's always it's always in relation to that, which I don't love.
0: Gus Spellman, you are a uh, a, a genre-minded person. Uh, did you have a relationship with Shock Corridor previously? And-
4: I've not seen the movie before. It is um, Samuel Fuller. Funny, the last time I was on, we were doing Michael Bay, who... Uh, Went to the same film school I did. And then Sam Fuller is a favorite of uh, a lot of the professors at that film school. So I'd heard of this movie before. Did not take the Sam Fuller class. Um, Was a little lukewarm on the other Sam Fuller movies I had seen. But I liked this one a lot and also found it so unpleasant I'll never watch it again. Kind of like an Eraserhead type. Situation where it's like, wow, I love this movie that I would hate to see again.
0: Wait, I do not follow. What part of this movie that I also watched was so upsetting to you?
4: Well, it's just very like viscerally unpleasant. It's like a Toby Hooper movie. Mm -hmm. A lot of shrieking. It's just like, yeah, yeah, a lot of Mm -hmm. loud sounds and uh, a lot of opera. A lot of gum chewing. <laughs> just very, it's like very abrasive. It's awesome. They do a great job of it, but I don't want to do that again.
3: It was interesting. I actually didn't remember this movie being like as like physically affecting for me because I think that there's a few moments in here that really do feel like a horror movie. Um, And it's like the nymphomania attack like that just plays like. A zombie attack scene and this is four years before night of the living dead and then there's all the stuff with um the the black um the black patient who thinks he's a member of the kkk and all of the imagery of him with his pillowcase hood on sprinting through the hallways like shrieking like it's genuinely terrifying so i think there's yeah there's there is that element of just horror iconography in here that i i didn't
4: remember from the first time i saw it yeah it's um it's definitely upsetting on purpose, so good job. They did it. Um, <laughs> I actually think that, can I talk about the book now? I think that that's the main thing that's missing from the book, is that it doesn't have that like visceral shock value to it. And so it ends up being like a pretty faithful recanting of a movie I had just watched. Mm. I have to say, I ended up getting very little out of the book. Even less than a much worse piece of
0: literature transformers 2 revenge of the fall <laughs> that is that is a wild claim that one remains the one of the lowest rated novelizations I mean, t-
4: truly an awful <laughs> truly i think i said at the time burn the book don't buy it but this i'm just <laughs> like i would say like don't don't bother getting it to burn or do anything with.
0: that perspective on Watching the movie first and then reading the book is interesting to me. I, when I have not seen a movie before, as in this case, try to read the book first to see how it stands on its own. And I found it extremely satisfying and even felt a little bit of a fall off when watching the movie, in the sense that I felt that the movie, in certain details, was not willing to go as gritty or upsetting as the film. Basically, the opposite of what you're saying. Uh, the, the thing that comes to mind immediately is the, the nymphomaniac scene where he walks mm-hmm. into this ward and is attacked by these women. In the book, uh, we get this passage. Uh, he tried to back out the door, locked. It had slammed shut behind him. A growl sounded, more animal than human. He whirled, bringing his hands up for protection. The beady-eyed women, he was too frightened to count them, were circling him warily. Their red tongues licked. Their naked eyes gleamed. One of them, an enormous blonde, bared her breasts with both hands and began to croon to him, her eyes never leaving his face. Suddenly, the most gaunt of the women jumped forward and planted a moist kiss on his cheek. A bosomy redhead shoved her her out of the way and flung her arms around Johnny's back. Dazed, he tried to pound on the locked door. They closed in on him. And then there's a line later where he talks about how insanity has stripped the 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 sex appeal and, like, the gender away from people in this hospital, which I feel like was written <clears throat> maybe with sort of gross intention, right? Maybe written as, like, uh, you know, the thing I love to get out of looking at ladies isn't there anymore. But it, reading it in 2023, I was like, that's an interesting observation about the way that insanity is sort of just making people of all different stripes the same, right? And when I watched this movie, I, I thought, okay, that attack scene is not as frightening as I as I pictured, mostly because the women look too normal to me. They, they act very strangely, but they look very much like they could be- They're in gonna a,
2: eat him alive! Yeah, they're
0: doing things that are a little out of pocket, okay?
2: But- <laughs> You're saying a pretty girl can't be scary?
0: <laughs> yes. That is what I'm saying. I'm saying that if I, if I, that a pretty girl can be scary, but if I walked into the dangerous pretty girl's wing of the hospital. You're saying an a
2: feminine woman is scarier?
0: No, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, the, the, I felt like in the wing of the hospital that most of the movie took place in, the men were uh, not, not concerned with like self care. They were just very, like, you know, uh, emoting. I, I I don't have my priorities in order in a way that goes hand in hand with whatever I'm I'm going through mentally. And I felt that the movie was going. Well, we're we've got ladies on set, pretty ladies. We're not gonna make them look weird. We're just gonna show them as is. I felt like the movie was doing a disservice to them in that way.
4: It's funny. I will agree. I think that this is the one passage where I got something from the book that wasn't in the movie. And I was going to mention that, like that. There's definitely they describe their clothes being off in this scene, which is always terrifying, which is, doesn't happen in the book. They also make the scene leading up to that scene make a lot more sense. That was that scene in the movie. I found I was very confused. I didn't quite get that it was a piano teacher. Why is
0: that door open?
4: Yeah, that part of it doesn't actually make that much sense in the book either but at least what the scene is and what his plan was in that scene made more sense definitely in the book in general you get much more horniness I think than you do in the movie oh yeah like the movie like all of Mm -hmm. the sexuality stuff is I think partly because it's not sexy anymore because it's so old-fashioned but partly because the movie's not actually trying to turn you on it's just trying to articulate that he's turned on Mm mm-hmm The book definitely wants you to get uh, titillated, which makes sense because this guy apparently wrote some erotica as well. That makes sense.
3: I literally wrote down a note that every man in the book needs to be sprayed with a water bottle, which is not something (laughs) I thought as much
4: as... I had one on the, like, for the pages, just spraying it on the pages anytime I would see <laughs> something about Kathy's skin, like, oh, hang on. <laughs> for,
3: for, for the author, like, you can tell that he feels the most critical element of being a human is, like, horniness, and so yeah, yeah. it's like, okay, that's gonna, on the one hand, be impossible to take out if you're in an institution setting, and on the other hand, like, our main character is trying to almost remind himself that he's still horny as a way to remind himself or prove to himself that he's still sane. It is
4: kind of fascinating. Yeah. I don't know if it's as, as what effective makes you insane, as that horniness. What happens when you go insane you can't get horny anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what horny.
2: I like about the nymphomaniac attack in the movie. Is he goes into this room with some women who are like clearly weird but are cute.
0: <laughs> they shouldn't be cute. Let women be unkempt in movies.
2: As I think if I was a nymphomaniac like why wouldn't you you would want to keep yourself up so you can get dick like that's (laughs) got to be part of it oh come on i think that's in the 60s maybe it's part of it but he has this moment where he's like curious and intrigued by them in a slightly horny way Uh they circle him and he's like okay interesting then they leap on him as if they're going to tear him to pieces and it becomes very scary Mm -hmm. but that moment of like maybe this is good as of is is very very intriguing to me and titillating as it were um compared to in the book where he's like ew weird gross these girls gross from the second that he sees them like i like that tension moment and in the movie
4: he has the vo line the vo in this movie is so funny where he's like "Uh oh nymphos which is a hilarious (laughs) laugh line
0: (laughs) i have some complaints about the film which i did enjoy Uh, maybe because I I started with the book. But reading the book, I was going, there must be VO in this movie. There's just no possible way, Mm -hmm. unless there's a scene on the beginning of the movie that's not at the beginning of the book. There's no possible way that they're going to convey the nuance of this situation. He's a reporter. He's pretending his girlfriend is his sister. There are all this stuff. they, They must just have him saying it. And of course, it was true. But I found the VO very frustrating and almost like I wanted to give a script note, you know, show not tell because there will be scenes that just completely do not have VO at all. It's all about what's happening in the moment between the characters. And then someone will say something weird and our main guy will go, huh, the shock corridor is a crazy place in his head. <laughs> and, and I did not like that. I have to say it took me out.
2: The voiceover works for me is like an experimental feature of the yeah. film. The same with like the color dreams and some of the like editing and presentation of Delusion. I was like, oh, it's just like part of the what well, this director's trying some things. It's and this bit... is one of those things.
4: Yeah, it's so inconsistent. And it like there's like there's something about it and many other elements of the movie where it's just like this just feels wrong. Can you stop it? Can you do this differently, please? It would make it so much easier for me. I, and love, I love it, the... though.
5: Yeah,
2: yeah. Same. Yeah, <laughs> I... yeah. So watching this movie, every single actor reminded me of some other actor, like every single one. I was like, oh, that guy looks like this other guy. And it was so disorienting.
4: Wait, other guys in the movie?
2: No, just like other, other people guys in, the world. in the world. Okay, okay. Yeah, I kept thinking like, oh, that's Stephen Campbell Moore. And I was like, he's not fucking alive yet. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. You know, like I, so that, like the, di- I was so disoriented the whole movie that all the other things about the movie that are disorienting, I was like, this is on purpose. <laughs> this is obviously the goal of the filmmaker to make me also feel kind of insane. Totally. And it's working, and totally. I'm so into the immersive experience.
4: Totally, yeah. Wait, can we go through, and I feel like I already put my chips on the table on what I thought of the movie and the book. Can we get from everybody else what everybody else thinks? All right, yeah. I'll
0: kick it around. Matt Darnell. Um so I
3: I like the movie. I actually thought the book was kind of crappy. And some of it is the That's um wrong with you, I baby. read the book first. Crazy. I read the book first, but had seen the movie prior. Like I watched the movie in college and it really was one of the earlier, I think 1960s movies, especially 1960s, sort of like quote unquote issue movies that really rattled me just like the intensity um, the way that the filmmaking is so uh, kind of um, inventive in certain ways and really unmooring and the fact that it splices in all these color scenes and like, yeah, it, It is quite an experience to watch. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think I found it a little bit harder to watch now or a little bit less pleasant to watch. Um, But I knew the basic story. I read the book and yeah, I did not enjoy like it just felt kind of bland to me. Um, And I think some of that is sort of knowing the story, which does have some twists and does have some fun reveals to it. And yeah, it it was an interesting time to watch the movie, rewatch the movie rather, just because Sam Fuller has been a big project of mine this year. Like I literally just finished watching his entire filmography probably like two weeks ago. You did You so, did
0: not reveal this when we discussed whether you might come on to this episode. Yeah. I mean, it was
3: very much like a, the, the stone was rolling down the hill and I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm almost done. I should just finish it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot about him and his strengths as a filmmaker and his strengths as a storyteller. Cause I think he's always done a lot of really great, low budget work, a lot of really great pulp work, um the you know asian representation in the book did really frustrate me cuz i think that would have pissed off fuller to the nth degree mm, like mm. he he served in the korean war and spent a lot of time like you know with the the local populations out there and even when he was making movies later in his career he did a lot of stuff that like was explicitly about um you know like japanese americans living in los angeles for example like i think his best movie is is the crimson kimono and it is a noir about these two detectives, their partners, they're in Los Angeles, one of them is white, one of them is Japanese, they both fall in love with the same woman who's white. And it's sort of like, will the racism torpedo that friendship and torpedo that partnership. And so like, you know, I read on the Wikipedia page that Sam Fuller tried to sue to prevent this book from being released. And I was Whoa, like, no shit. Yeah. I, wow. and, and Wikipedia was like it was like copyright infringement, which doesn't make total sense to me. But I I feel like it would have been just the the insult of reading this and being like this is not it. Like I have a point to my horniness and I have a point to my representation angle, and I'm a fucking newspaper man who is here to like take you into this place and really show you an expose and obviously give you a big headline and a cool hook to do it. But yeah, I think the movie's great. Book didn't do much for me that was a long way of answering your question.
4: That's interesting. Cause Samuel Fuller ended up writing, I think some of the, like he wrote the novelization for the big red one. Uh, or maybe that one's not classified as a novelization. That's interesting. And it's quite good. Like it does everything that I feel like this book kind of fails to do. Like it, it he's mm-hmm. a good writer. It's like um, a really, uh, a visceral read.
3: That makes sense, because that uh, yeah, movie went cool. through
4: some some changes where it was
3: like, he shot the movie, they made him do a pretty atrocious theatrical cut, the director's cut is awesome, and if the book is there to go even a little bit deeper into the
4: experiences of the soldiers, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, book, the book's pretty sick. I'll do a little plug for my film professor, Lisa Dombrowski's book, uh, Samuel Fuller, If You Die, I'll Kill You, if you're interested in going even further than the Samuel Fuller, Train man, absolutely. And, uh, it's that supposed is, to be a really awesome book. That's
3: such a good title.
0: If that thing is truly a novelization for the Big Red One, we will absolutely at some point read a novelization that Fuller wrote. Ethan, what uh what was your feeling on the book in general?
1: I I didn't mind this book because I like the story, Shock Corridor, and I didn't mind uh, just spending longer in it. Um, I I agree that it doesn't bring that much to the table in terms of like that you're not just getting on screen. Um I like things like the nympho scene, you actually are able to get a sense of what is happening to him when he's being attacked. Uh the subjectivity of that I liked. Yeah, I don't know. It's this this book didn't didn't bother me that much, but also uh it was a nice break from all of the sick children in my house this week. So <laughs> I'll I'll I yeah, I'd rather be in the shock corridor than my own home. Oh no
3: your home is currently
0: the shock corridor. Is it my turn? Yeah, Hannah, how'd you feel?
2: Uh, I read the book first and thought it was fine, pulpy, kind of blah, kind of I get it. And it's so clearly delineated. Um, it's like he enters the asylum. He talks to one witness. He talks to the second witness he, in a way that felt like so regimented to me. It was disappointing. sort of. Totally. And his mental deterioration in the book, I was like, what the fuck are we doing here? What is this? I can't tell if it's real, if it's not. Like, what are we supposed to read from this? Had a really hard time with that in the book. Then I watched the movie and was like, this thing rips. Imperfect, but very cool. Love the way it's shot and filmed. Like the performances a lot. Had like this weird experience with it. And think that like the 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 mental journey for john is like surprising and scary and interesting in a way that in the book i just was like there's not this is nothing to me this isn't working so i'm i'm more on matt's side definitely but uh, the book didn't hurt me and i read it first you know i think
3: the movie is so textured even that like opening scene where he's trying to get himself committed and he's sort of having that like mental exchange where he feels very proud with himself that like uh in inner monologue versus like how explosive and how big he gets and how manic he seems in every frame when you watch the movie and i think that yeah just the the performance that the fuller was able to get and the intensity of the style i think It does feel like the purest way to have this story.
2: I also like in the book immediately, I was like, Kathy is presented as the most hysterical woman who has ever lived. That from second one, she's like, he's going to go mad in there. And there's kind of no reason to think that, I would say initially. And I think in the movie, she's played like stronger and she's just like, this is a bad idea. He's Mm going to get hurt. This is a really bad idea. And she eventually deteriorates and falls apart over it because he's scaring her. I think we have to at some point discuss the scene where she vi- visits him and kisses him on the mouth, <laughs> and then freaks out when he's like, "You can't do that." Yeah, yeah. Somebody has to explain to me <laughs>
0: why she thought like, that what was her okay. thought
2: process. Yeah, and why she's like, "He thinks I'm uh, she. He really thinks I'm his sister," and it's like, "No, he's playing <laughs> up a part, dude. Did you forget that you're supposed to be his sister?"
0: One really funny uh, a
2: hard time with that
0: aspect of. of- <laughs> old novelizations being written by horny sexists is that look i mean (laughs) kathy uh, uh, seems like a fine actress a beautiful woman but whenever i read the book first for these old books i'm always like all right i'm turning on the movie and from these descriptions i'm ready to see helen of troy herself (laughs) (laughs) every time she's described in this book it's like she was the most beautiful woman anyone had ever seen
2: with the most luxurious hair.
0: The, oh, her hair is like <laughs> the, the volume. The hair stuff.
3: <laughs> I think the author is a fetishist, I'm going to say. I think he's too horny for
0: his own good. He loves hair. He's, he's, he's the pigtails guy all along. Uh, yeah, I, it, 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 it is definitely like rooted in some sort of sexism that they find that to be her main trait. But every time Avalone writes about her, He's not only saying in the text her breasts were taught or whatever. He's also putting it in the mouth of every single character. There's a guy in this book who I forget what his profession is. He's not the guy at the beginning. He's, he's maybe the cop. And he thinks to himself, I am a cop and that's really my whole deal. But first and foremost, I'm a man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, even Dr. Christo is like, maybe you kind of asked for this because you're so hot you ever think about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty fucked up
0: yeah it is that's a a level of of sort of victim blaming or slut shaming i've never seen we're like were you so hot that you made your brother want to never heard that one before
2: maybe you encouraged it by being so foxy
3: (laughs) i think another reason why i prefer the movie is it seems like it has more of a point of view on I mean, it's a morality play more than anything, not just because we get the the Bible quote at the beginning, which says whom God wishes to destroy. He first makes mad
4: like it's much better quote than any of the ones that start off the chapters in the book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, every chapter in the book has a quote uh, attributed usually to a piece of literature. Uh huh.
2: And one from the screenplay to Mr. Deed Goes to Town. <laughs> Which great, I had to look up and be like, is great, that a book movie, first? Great no, great <laughs> yeah. movie, but like, man, crazy.
3: And I think I think the book's more delineated, like you guys said, just sort of like, this happens, this happens, this happens. Yes, there's some some cool you know inner monologue stuff along the way, but the fact that it didn't feel like it had that point of view in the morality play kind of way I think really hurt the read for me where, yeah, the movie just seems so explicit about like god punishing not just this one man but by extension his accomplices for his hubris where you know i think kathy in the movie sort of plays as the only sane character who's just being like why do you need to do this and it's not just the binary that we talked about earlier where it's like is it is it pulitzer or pussy it's like you you Are gonna lose it like this is just like, is there no other way to figure out if there's a murder in an institution like this? Like, why are you rushing towards this? Why are you so certain that you'll be able to, to, to find the murder to win the day to keep your sanity like, it does feel like the movie is just like this guy's a fucking idiot. He's doomed from the start. I'm not applauding that by the end of it. But you know, it's inevitable.
2: The movie feels much more sympathetic to every patient as well as like the sad yes, the yeah, sadness yeah. of the loss of humanity and the loss of their selves yeah. is really palpable in the movie. And the book is not quite so um, the grief about how sad it is for these people and mm-hmm. what they've been through and how they've handled it. It doesn't feel quite as there. And that book. feels like a
3: Sam Fuller touch, too, is for him to, I think, be a really open-hearted, like, cigar-chomping dickhead, you know? He mm-hmm. still manages to, to I think, write his characters as the, the pulp newspaper man. He, he gives them that empathy. He gives them that perspective. So to lose it in the book, again,
4: was, was tough. And he's just getting really strong performances from everybody that are taking the words and, you know, getting more from them themselves are doing on the page, and the words in the book are almost, I would, I want to say, almost always taken directly from the movie like all of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. The movie is also much funnier than the book, like it is more serious, but it's way funnier too. Like, I was already talking about the Nymphos line, but even just when he says things like, I've got to win the Pulitzer Prize (laughs) in the movie, that's very funny. (laughs) <laughs> like, in the book, it just seems like, okay, yeah, I believe you. That's your goal. Got it. I, I think that, yeah, there, there's a lot of richness and texture in the movie that the book just doesn't.
2: Andrew. Doesn't get.
0: Yeah, okay. Turn. So, I want to ask. I mean, I, I like the book. I, I, I feel like I tipped my hand on that early. Um, I am worried after <clears throat> Matt bringing it up again. I'm worried. Are we going to be able to upload the game at the end of the episode to Instagram? The game Pulitzer Pussy? I think we we can get it up there. I'm worried I'll get banned or something.
4: Just you can use AI to change that word to something else. I know.
0: I'm worried about the pictures, Gus. Oh. <laughs> you could probably use AI for that too. Speaking of Kathy, speaking of the way that this book is different from the film, it, and, and I feel like the ways in which it's different are are slight. Like what you're talking a lot about tone, Gus, which I, I think is is definitely well observed, right? Like the the sarcasm, the humor of the movie, which is really coming out of the actors and the performances that Fuller has gotten out of them, is handled extremely straightforwardly in the book to the point where you can't tell sometimes that it is humor. And I do think that's to the book's detriment. But it's also reflective of the book's overall attitude, which seems to be we're getting in and out of this story in what is like two and a half hours of reading time. This is a very Mm -hmm. short book. Mm -hmm. And I think in almost every arena, Avalon is trimming or at least trying to be fleet of foot. He's going this monologue from Stuart is really important. That's definitely going to be there. But then we're right into the next scene. With that in mind, Something that really sticks out to me, I think the, the most inventive thing in the entire book, is the Kathy chapter, which we get about two-thirds of the way in. Uh, what did we all think of that chapter, which is really her, uh, in turmoil over how she feels, it's, it's, it's almost entirely a chapter of interiority, then her boss tries to sleep with her, but it it's mostly concerned with how she feels so wronged by Johnny, but also cannot pry herself away.
4: Well, I think it's very important to the author to convey that she's very horny, too, to make sure (laughs) that you get that. And like, it does feel to me like that's the main point of that chapter (laughs) is that you can like be like, I mean, not just like titillate you, but also be like, oh, yeah, he's really in danger of losing her. Like, even aside from him going insane, like he might lose her just because he's been gone for a while. And everyone knows that's not a cool thing to do to your uh, life partner.
2: I mean, the chapter ends on the button where she's like, oh, I can't believe I won't get to have sex with him anytime soon, which doesn't feel super respectful to her feelings or personality. You're
0: underselling the awfulness of
2: that line. I it's know. of course. No, I'll read it. Okay. I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> I have it here. That's 119 in my copy. <clears throat> Seeing and playing the deadly unnatural game of I'm his sister and he tried to rape me and isn't that terrible. It was terrible, all right. <laughs> terrible that it didn't have a chance of coming true for a long, long time. <laughs> so not only is the book going, she's horny, yeah. but it's also going like, rape could be fun, which as is long not As it's cool. my
0: beloved Johnny. Beggars can't be choosers.
2: Could get into that.
0: It's real, like, have a great wedding, you too energy, where it feels like she says something <laughs> extremely specific. Oh, I, I can't believe I'm pretending to be his sister who he rapes but I can't wait to be. And it's like, no, you don't you don't feel that. Change change some of that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: The the line just before that that I wrote down is on page 118 where she sort of muses the bible was right. If you played with fire, you got burned. And that is in relation to like her agreeing to to help commit Johnny and then not being able to fuck him. Like that is her version of being burned which is kind of silly but i do like that the chapter starts tiptoeing towards the morality line of all this you know it i think its focus is a little bit unique to the book where it's about like her punishment as opposed to johnny's overall punishment and stuff but yeah to to include this chapter that is called the outside and to to give us a little bit of that dance of what she's up to out there
0: i think is interesting This is a good illustration also of how the uh, quotes at the beginning of the chapters don't quite fit. The the chapter, (laughs) The Outside, the one we're talking about that's focused on Kathy, starts with uh, an an ellipsis, we kiss in a shadow, and then credited as Rogers and Hammerstein, the king and I. And it's like, I guess that's kind of, she wishes she could kiss him, but they're lying. I'm really doing a lot of work to make that one fit.
4: (laughs) (laughs) i was wondering to myself how did he source the quotes for this (laughs) like obviously he couldn't google them. he threw a bunch of books Uh, down the
0: stairs whatever pages they opened on
4: yeah i assume there was some sort of like old-fashioned timey library reference card looking up but a some of them yes
2: i would like to say that i have a book of famous quotations okay that in the back has an you know an index that's like these are about romance these are about the word eyes so you can be like oh it's about kissing and you just kind of flip through the um oh what's it called famous quotations by
4: (laughs) that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. that i would buy that that's exactly yep
0: also in that chapter we get uh her still in her you know in her inner thoughts it says Damn Johnny. Damn Swanee. Damn Doc Fong. And damn the day her man had gotten his fingers on a juicy murder story that seemed to him to be the key to his ambitions and his life's ideals. The Pulitzer Prize. Kathy caught a sob in her throat before it could emerge. Kathy should be the prize that Johnny Barrett wanted. But it wasn't that way, was it? It was never that way with men. They weren't like women, content with home, kids, and happiness. No, They had to run out and do things and win things and get promoted. Oh damn! And I, this just feels like it feels like it could happen in either direction to either gender. It just feels the way. It feels like a a willful misinterpretation of of the opposite sex, right? Just sitting there, going, "I, of course, am." uh, Like you're a man writing a woman, thinking about men, right? And your conception of men is you're going. Like me, they're incredibly complex. They have many things going on. Women, however, one thing going on, and they love it. They absolutely love it.
2: <laughs> that line struck me as well because I think that it seems like Kathy does have her own ambitions and dreams. It totally She's a doesn't matter. And she <laughs> perhaps wants to be singing in better joints than a strip club.
4: Well, I think she her whole thing is like she started doing the stripping because the money was actually better. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I think that's part of it. So it's like she's making this sacrifice for them. And his sacri- he's making a sacrifice too, but it's only for him. She's
0: making $500 a week in 1963.
2: And she doesn't even have to take all of her clothes off.
0: Well, I think in the book it's
4: implied she's taking it all. Yeah, no, for sure.
2: For <laughs> sure. In the book she definitely is. I love that part in the movie where that one girl is like, and I told him it's not stripping if I don't take off all of my clothes. <laughs> I forgot that. That really tickled me in the film. And then that girl is just like, I'm knitting. She's normal. She's chill. She's a pro. I have to say, I really expected when the opening credits of the film rolled and it's like, here's all the people and the characters. And then there's like 12 women's names without any sort of, and here's who they're playing. I had this moment where I was like, oh, probably the strippers also play the nymphomaniacs. And there's something that will happen here. Uh, as like a metaphor or a dream or whatever mm-hmm. that is not the case um but it felt so like of course of course there's a complicated blend of people and place happening here
3: I like that idea I feel like he's the kind of filmmaker that would do that just to save money too which is fun <laughs> and then like sort throw it to you to figure out like the real reason why you know going back more to the start i i think it's fascinating how how long both stories hold back the fact that he's there to solve a murder, you know, like mm. where the setup is, it is like hyper ambition and hubris and, you know, just the the horniness for the ultimate lady, which is the Pulitzer prize. And then it's got that really cool initial twist to be like, actually he's here to solve a murder. And I, I, I don't have an answer for this, but I do think it's interesting. Like, why structure it that way instead of the opening scene being like okay here's the murder remember here's the plan to sort of go in and do it but the fact that it opens up with 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 you thinking that you're looking at someone who is already being admitted into an institution when he's mm-hmm. just practicing for that process it's really fascinating so
2: it's a cool rug pull um especially given that part of the mystery of the film is is he going mad too Did he buy, did he drink his own Kool-Aid too much and is losing himself?
4: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like in watching the film, and again, I watched the movie before reading the book, you kind of know like, oh, he's probably going to go crazy. But it's not part of the plot. And I feel like seeding, like being like, hey, by the way, we got a murder to solve here. uh, After all that setup kind of distracts you from that so that then uh, his like insanity can kind of creep up on you later. Like it almost comes in and you're like, oh, I got to I got to situate myself. I got to start thinking about this murder. And you think less about what's happening to him just for a little while. And you're like, it gives you like instead of you being when he's interacting with crazy people being like, this is not going to be good for you, boy. I'm worried about this. You're like, "Okay, hang on. I I really have to. I hate this. I hate this guy singing. But I got to pay attention because there could be a clue Mm -hmm. here. I really need to focus in on what's going to happen, what this guy is saying. So I think that that's kind of the effect. Um, It does feel, though, both in the book, but even more so in the movie, almost clumsy. Like, it feels like maybe there was a way to sort of make the integrate the two things um, more seamlessly they kind of just like drop it on your head at some point and you're like oh okay i guess
0: i think that the the point at which it feels most whiplashy for me is the end of the film so at the end of the film he solves the murder well maybe i should back up i i feel as though the murder is such an interesting hook and it's okay for these two things to coexist but i'm dissatisfied in general with how the murder details are scant enough that i'm not able to really get invested in the murder mystery of it all right like i'm not i understand that this is a psychological thriller i understand that i it, it's not a murder mystery explicitly but he is a character who is trying to find a killer and we don't know who it is from the beginning there it's not dramatic irony it's not like we know and he doesn't so i would like to feel interested in who did it but there isn't enough development in this pretty short movie of any character who could have possibly done it, except for the witnesses. And so I'm reading this, going, "Oh, of course, these witnesses. This is the best part of the book, like these, is, and, and the movie. I would say these witnesses are, have such rich character. You know that this this guy who uh, was an American soldier, but then he turned into a a communist, and then he was flipped back and the communists taught him about uh his his family's bigotry and how how they raised him to be ignorant but then an american a fellow american soldier like showed him that american values can be used virtuously and and he came back but he like that was extremely interesting to me so i'm thinking when they reveal that one of these three guys is the killer this will be satisfying but the fact that the killer is a guy we essentially don't know and the way johnny gets the information is just to ask (laughs) was not satisfying to me and then at the end of the film as you say gus these two pretty unrelated things converge his hunt for the killer and his uh mounting insanity and instead of actually meeting in some way which would be satisfying the one thing crescendos he finds the killer everyone goes wow great job Then we cut to people going, he remains sane long enough to write the entire article, but now he's catatonic, which I found really disappointing.
2: I did expect that what would happen is that he would solve the murder and everyone would go, but sir, you're insane. Yes. We don't believe you. (laughs) Sorry. You have to stay here. You're crazy. Whether he truly is or not, he's now trapped in a place where just by saying, like, I think I solved a murder. They're like, well, that's further evidence of your your cuckoo-ness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, I agree that the culmination of the murder mystery is a little bit of a letdown.
3: You guys have sort of, like, given me the answer I was looking for in terms of why you start with the... Why you start with the, is this guy crazy or not? Instead of why you start with, like, remember, we're all here to solve a murder. Just because, ultimately, the movie, the story is about his sanity, where to your exact point, by the end, when he solves the murder, like we never see him writing the article. We never see that process pulling him out of this funk. We just hear people say, why the fuck is he still in here? And more importantly, why the fuck is he still crazy? Because he wasn't crazy when he wrote the article and you people all told me that he needed to solve the murder to protect his sanity. This is sort of Kathy being the voice of reason here, of course, but Yeah, it's a movie about the sanity. It's a movie about that like slippery slope and how easy it is for a person, even someone who feels especially sort of sane and focused to really lose it given the circumstances.
4: There's also an element of the way that the murder gets solved and the just the circumstances of the murder where it's like you're constantly feeling like there has got to be a better way to solve this very simple murder. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like that just goes to his sort of hubris and it's just like yeah he didn't need to do this he did it because he thought it would be a more interesting story and that was more important to him than solving the murder uh or any of the other people in his life or in this asylum so it's like i think it makes it easier to be like yeah dude kind of deserved it like sucks to suck Um, especially since like the movie takes
3: place in an era where you can imagine that Johnny is also a veteran of the Korean war. Um, His doctor, his editor certainly are Uh, the soldier character is as well. And so I kept trying to, to give him as a character, the benefit of the doubt almost where each of the three suspects slash witnesses who are also kind of suspects, but the three people that he's spending his time interrogating, trying to find out who the killer is like, they have legitimate trauma that put them in this position. And so for Johnny to end up on the same level as them, to end up as a character who's also wallpaper whenever you're admitted into the place, like, I'm like, okay, is this all building on some sort of trauma that he had in the war? Is this building on the fact that he didn't serve and he just feels like a piece of shit and he's trying to matter because of that sense of uh like
0: worthlessness you're doing a lot of work for this story
3: well again like i a lot of it is me trying to figure out like um what what's fuller's big point of view here right like what is he going for
4: to me it's more of an indictment on the type of um uh, portrayals of these horrible things that we've done you know like the way we treat black people in this country Mm -hmm. The invention and use of the atom bomb
2: Stuart's trauma is really that he came home and everybody shamed him and spit on him for being brainwashed and turned yeah. like it's not necessarily that he was taken captive or is himself like had a bad experience overseas he did but he gets home and everyone's like fuck you you sack of shit and he can't handle it
3: mm-hmm. when the thing that turned him but was like, like was factual logic the thing that turned him communist was them being like mm-hmm. why are you
2: fighting for these assholes again yeah
4: but I, th- I feel like fuller's perspective is like people use these stories to be like interesting and sensational and they don't actually give a shit about the victims mm-hmm. or the people involved at all they're not interested they're only interested in it for themselves and so i think it's kind of a fuck you to anybody who was writing stories like this not that there are probably a bunch of stories where they were like let's get three traumatized people and use them to solve a murder but just like <laughs>
0: Kind of using- This genre is done to death. Stop doing asylum murder (laughs) mysteries.
2: (laughs) I mean, there's enough moments in the book, especially, where Johnny is thinking like, this is going to be great character color in my article. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to be, this dance class, dance therapy, is going to be really good, just like flavor in my murder story. But yeah, he's taking advantage of these people and it comes back to bite him. But I also find him a really like more of the performance in the movie, Peter Breck, who I had never seen in anything else, but I found very compelling. Who did he remind
3: you of? Which which person?
2: Joe Keery. <laughs>
3: oh. Wait, that wasn't Joe Keery?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. Not born yet. <laughs> I don't know. Who that's what I landed on. Often I'm like, oh, this guy reminds me of somebody and I can never figure out like who it is. And most of the people in this movie, I was like, oh, I know who it is. I landed somewhere. But yeah, just like a a good performance of a character that in the movie, especially I was like, I'm interested in him and like what he's doing with this and what his life is outside of this, because there's something interesting happening and the way in which he breaks down in the movie. I don't know. just was so, it's really unaddressed in some ways, Mm -hmm. which is very intriguing.
0: I want to piggyback off the unaddressed thing, because it's what I'm struggling with listening to. To, to the three of you talk for the last couple of minutes, which is like, I'm learning listening to you talk, but I'm also like, I feel like we watched or read a different text because, <laughs> it, you know, I'm going to... That's the sign of a good movie. I have to play dummy a little bit here, which I think is a valuable role that I play on most episodes. But Matt, at the beginning, called this either, you know, an, an issues movie or, a, you know, a cultural problem movie or, or whatever it was. And I'm interested in that concept because it sounds to me... Like you all are saying, that the reason that these very specific stories from these witnesses are in this movie is to show that the treatment of these people is wrong or that they are sort of shunted off by society, which is interesting to me, but I had trouble digesting that because our main character, Johnny, while undergoing (laughs) shock treatment, you know, false imprisonment, just just terrible conditions being put in the whole solitary confinement for weeks on end. He never really thinks a critical thought about the establishment, the institution he's in, and he never has a moment where he goes, "Are we mistreating these people in any conscious way?" Mm. And it was to such an extent that I thought, "Is that too modern a thought? Was this movie not criticizing? The I
2: don't think the movie is criticizing the institution of the mental hospital. I think it is criticizing a lot of things outside of the mental hospital. I agree. Okay, I agree. That it actually, I think it treats the patients with respect and dignity and kindness, yeah. and all of the staff, except for the murderer who was raping women, <sighs> yeah. um, treats them with respect and dignity and care. Genuinely.
4: Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious because the big thing, the big thing that they do to him that they should not do is electroshock therapy. But I think that at this point in time, there hadn't been a definitive like, yeah, that's not good for people. You you can't be doing that.
2: Um, I think it's fucked up that Kathy says, yes, shock my boyfriend.
4: That was wild. I
3: know. I know. She's so she's so horny. She's just like, if this means I get to fuck him sooner.
4: (laughs) She's not thinking straight. Yeah, yeah.
2: Girl. Dangerous.
4: Yeah, so I don't know if it's a big indictment of them, although there's certainly, like, an aspect of this where he's saying, like, these psychological issues are not, clearly not very well understood. And, like, the institution is sloppy. Like, they couldn't figure out this girl's not his sister. Like, they probably didn't do a whole lot of investigation. And I actually don't think that they even circle back to that in the movie. Whereas in the book, there is that scene where they figure it. they are like, yeah, you know, I actually couldn't find any record of her being his sister, actually, now that I looked at you. And the one cop is going, uh,
0: yeah, but we did what was right. We, she came in, she complained right. about her brother, yeah, yeah. we imprisoned him. And the other cop goes, but... She's not his sister, so she was <laughs> lying. And the first cop goes, "Look, we, I, we did what was, uh, right." And um, and he came in, and we, and and we, that's what, and she's Look, not. Look, brother or
2: not, it's an assault charge. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. He's totally, just totally yeah. ignoring the fact that the premise that they imprison the guy under is totally false.
4: But to get to get to your point, Andrew, I guess the big question is: Do you find Johnny sympathetic? Or not? And do you think that the movie wants you to find Johnny sympathetic or not?
0: I think the movie wants us to find him sympathetic. uh, Because he is trying to hunt out a killer who the movie establishes late in its runtime is an active threat to these people who are extremely vulnerable to him.
4: But important to note that it only brings that up later after you've already done most. Agreed. Which, again, it's like, would have been useful information to have early. Like, it would have been useful information.
2: Yeah, Johnny is like, hey, he could kill again. Yeah, yeah. I think that...
0: Yeah,
4: like, yeah, yeah.
2: assault sure. or not. I think for, the intention for. of the movie yeah. is that
0: he is uh, heroic. I, I, I'm bringing this up a lot this season. Uh, you know, I, I've already done it on this episode. Just trying to figure out what tendencies of mine or what assumptions I make about movies are from watching movies that mostly are from... This century, right? From the 2000s. And I am inclined personally to find him unlikable because he reminds me of so many journalists we've seen, you know, that are in it for the glory, not for the story, right? And he has those characteristics. But I find it hard to believe that we were meant to read that 60 years ago to me that feels like a very twitter era thing like when when i was watching this movie i was thinking of the guy no, who i
4: don't agree with that think about like citizen kane there's plenty of movies about like shitty reporters who do things for the wrong reason
0: yes totally I, mean, I i think that like freddie Lowndes from from the hannibal universe is is something you might see pop up in 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 a in a movie from the 60s or 70s, someone who is very explicitly in journalism for selfish reasons. I just mean this idea of the reporter who is fooling themselves and truly believes they're altruistic when they actually so badly just want the fame. But he doesn't,
4: he doesn't believe that he's altruistic. He admits yeah. right off the bat, I want to win the Nobel or Prize. At or at least
0: get rich prize.
3: by selling the movie rights, selling the book rights.
4: Yes. Uh,
2: I want to raise Nellie Bly into this conversation. Lady journalist of the 19th century who did exactly what Johnny Barrett does in this film and got herself committed in order to write a story. Her story was about bad conditions in asylums. But I think even then in like 1890 people were like, "Okay, girl, you're just trying to get attention, huh?" The concept of the journalist who's in it for the glory not the story has I think always existed in various degrees and depending on what the story ends up being to varying levels of like we don't have Wait, but can we, we can
0: do. we do that? Uh, sorry, sorry. I maybe I am being obstinate, but can yeah. can we look at a real-life event from the 1800s and assume that it informed media literacy in the way it would today?
2: Uh, no, I'm just... I don't know that that's what I'm saying. I think I'm saying that, like, the I, the idea that we might expect something from the past to be critical of someone's intentions, especially journalists, yes, they were doing that.
4: I think it's very common in in noir movies to 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 like have a character who has some sort of sickness and like hubris or self-centeredness is certainly one of those I think you can definitely expect reasonably that if you wanted to you could make a movie about that and expect people to get on board with it and be like yeah maybe this guy's not so great after all even though he's doing the thing we want him to do the way and the why is not something I'm You're
0: on board you're with. all each and every one of you more uh you're 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 veterans of watching older films to a degree that I am not I just mostly watch things that came out during my lifetime I hear what you're saying I'm just wondering whether a movie with that intention from this era would use such a light touch because this is not a character assassination on this guy in the way that ultimately came movies from the past
2: were nuanced No I get it well. I get it I get it but like
0: <laughs> b- but this is not like The hammer doesn't come hard enough down on this guy for me to believe that the movie is critical of his journalistic approach.
2: He is punished to live forever in a catatonic mute state in the very place that he thought he could swan in and out of in order to find fame and fortune. All right. That's not heavy enough for you? It's not pointed
0: enough for me. (laughs) Okay. I I can see what
4: what you're saying, Andrew. I mean, I think he is like... I think he's meant to be basically a tragic figure, Mm -hmm. where this is kind of like Oedipus. This is a guy who is the hero of your story, who did a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have done, and he ended up getting exactly what he deserved.
2: I don't know. Oedipus that's how did everything I, that's right. How I read it. That poor guy. He, <laughs> he tried so hard to not fuck his mom. He left. <laughs>
4: Dude, horniness will get you every time.
2: I mean, I think with Johnny, he becomes increasingly sympathetic. He starts as like kind of like a cocky asshole, and the more he time he spends in the hospital with these patients and gets to know them, the more sympathetic he becomes to them and more sympathetic he becomes as a character me
4: but the main like sympathy point of the movie is definitely Kathy like they want you to feel bad for her and I think one of the things they want you to feel bad for is that she has a shitty boyfriend (laughs) right like isn't that part of it not like oh she has a great boyfriend and it didn't work out because he took the he took like the wrong path I think it's like
2: I mean there's that line in the movie from the girl who says it's not stripping if you don't take off all your clothes where she says how could a girl love any boy that much
1: Right, like especially <laughs> yeah. this. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Like Kathy's tragic yeah, yeah. flaws.
2: She like can't let go of this guy who treats her kind of bad, and who clearly doesn't value yeah. her yeah, feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, how did you feel about Johnny? You sympathetic to him? Me? <laughs> yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that Johnny is is pretty openly a source of uh, contempt by this story in this movie. Um I think the his his single-minded fixation on the Pulitzer is uh definitely sort of takes all the air out of him as a um you know hero in this story. He doesn't care about the the solving of the murder. He just cares about his own glory. And so um I I I do think if I have heard anything about this movie it is that it is ahead of its time in how it treated um I mean America's sins, for one thing, but perhaps this um, uh, moral relativism that Andrew is getting <laughs> anxious about. Um, I mean, I think Samuel Fuller was was maybe a little more subtle about this stuff than um, other people uh, of the era were were being. Is that fair?
0: That's fair. I would. Yeah, I think that's a great. I would to love to switch the criticism of me that we usually have from <laughs> Andrew is sexist to. Andrew's always looking for a white hat protagonist I think that would be great
2: I mean I do think there's a little moral black and attitude with you
0: for sure for sure are you with me or against me let me know <laughs> what do we think of the dream sequences in the book
2: like the patient's the witnesses memory sequences? No, uh the,
0: the, the Johnny's dream sequences. Sequences about Kathy. The sequences in which Johnny is either having a sanity slip or the actual full break from reality, which is also in the movie with the water.
2: The rainstorm. Mm. Uh, the dreams he has early on where Kathy's like, Don't you want me, baby? <laughs> I found a little annoying both in film and book. But that's just the horniness. But, I mean,
4: obviously, there's like Thank a you. way to make those sexier <laughs> in 1963, obviously, like, you know, there you could have done them sexier and they do them in a very goofy, <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: like weird way, which, again, seems like on purpose to do it. I mean, they to make posit it her almost silly. in the
2: the way it's filmed as like his little angel on his shoulder while he sleeps. But the thing she's whispering to him is like, don't you want this pussy? <laughs> like, wouldn't you prefer to be with me? He keeps
0: saying, no, I want the Pulitzer.
2: I want the <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> um, those I think are a little goofy. The rainstorm in the movie is like so evocative and jarring and upsetting. And Peter Breck is really throwing himself all over that space in ways that are committed. Like he's doing it mm-hmm. in general has a really committed physical performance from both him and the character. <laughs> I like the rainstorm a lot. And in the movie, when I was like, you don't get like his headaches and stuff, which in the book feel like real precursors to he's having a problem mm. um, in the movie are not quite so noted. And so by the time he hallucinates a rainstorm, it was so shocking and surprising. Yeah. Me, like, oh, no, he's lost it. He's in real trouble.
4: It's another one of those visceral Mm -hmm. things that the book just doesn't successfully communicate, I think. I mean, that's a hard thing to do, but...
2: Yeah.
4: Avalon's not up to the task.
0: I'm looking for the uh, actual rainstorm in the book, which I really liked. I like some of the language in the book quite a bit.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is not an incompetently written book.
0: Here's a no. Again, this is way better than Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a uh, a passage that is not that that I, I enjoyed. It says, uh, Johnny Barrett left Ward B. His mind closing a door on the past three months, so he's leaving for good. His intellect embracing the wonderful yarn. His typing fingers, uh, repertorially ached for. The corridor stretched before him. The long corridor. The street where so many broken, unfulfilled longings piled like unseen ghosts in the atmosphere. This is the type of flowery language I want from uh, novelization of this genre of film. I like when Avalon goes uh, a little over the top. I agree. I have to say, I think it takes...
4: There's like... That's not in... That kind of thing isn't in the movie. And I think it, like, it just serves to make the setting more palatable in the book and obviously we're like speculating when we think about what is it that samuel fuller didn't like about this adaptation i think it's really interesting what you were saying matt that fuller tried to sue to get this not to be Mm -hmm. released because i could definitely see it being like the orientalism the tone's not right but also just i think that sequences like that while they're like nice pieces of prose i feel like make it a little bit more pleasant to live in this world Mm -hmm. than the book, than the movie does. And the movie, it always looks pretty dingy and pretty, kind of one flew over the cuckoo's nesty where it's just like, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want this guy to be here. I don't want anybody to be here because it sucks Mm -hmm.
0: shit. Is there a way in a novel to have this sort of disruptive, uncomfortable editing the emotion of that come through. Obviously, you can't have actual cuts in a novel, but is there a way to write this that makes you feel that uncomfortable?
2: I think rhythmically, yes.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: Like when we read the Taxi Driver novelization, which I think is also about a man losing his mind, right? Yeah. The rhythm and presentation of that book gave the feeling of like discomfort, ickiness. Where are we? What is happening in this guy's brain? Right. In ways, I mean, much more successfully than this does.
4: Yeah, I. Can, yeah, can you evoke with words? Yes, that's your question, Andrew.
0: Do <laughs> <laughs> think I get my dunce cap?
2: The rainstorm in the movie is so <laughs> off-putting and creepy and spooky. And in the book, it's basically like it was raining. He didn't know why. Like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't evoke that it is a hallucination right away. It doesn't evoke that it is scary for him or how alone he feels or that it's kind of his mind trying to remind him that Wilkes is the murderer who is in hydrotherapy right now. It's mm-hmm. kind of both things. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the book captures that in the slightest. And when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, the hydrotherapy, the water, it's like, it's a—it's all there. It's there, man, you got it. Um, And I didn't get any of that from the book, in the same passages from the book.
4: Yeah, I think it's fair to wonder whether Avalon made that connection.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's
2: it. A- that's a
0: terrific point, because when I read the, the passage with the water, I was like, wow, this is really well written, and I'm excited to see this in the movie. And then when he comes out of the hallucination, and he goes, oh my god, I remember who did it. I went, why? <laughs> why do you remember?
2: <laughs> I mean, it's, I do think it is subtle. <laughs> like, if you aren't paying attention to the one line where they're like, Wilkes, go to hydrotherapy, then, like, it's not there, really. But like, it, it struck me like a bell. And I was like, oh my God, cool, cool little, the, <laughs> ah, the power of the mind.
4: And I think that just goes to show like, Fuller doesn't feel like he needs to hold your hand. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what he's interested in. Uh, he just wants you to have like an upsetting experience and then have to think about mm. this stuff. Which again, I really like. And Avalon, I think understandably tries to make the, everything make more sense and be more palatable but that's just that's just not what this story wants to be And:
1: well it's, if we're listing things that that the movie uh pulls off that the book can't the thing that really has hung in my mind for the 10 years or whatever since i watched this movie was like oh that's that's the black and white movie with the intrusions of color Mm. And that's, that is so, so evocative Uh, when he is, is when, when Fuller is telling the story and when Avalon is, there's just no, no, nothing linguistically that, that even tries to accomplish a similar effect. And I found that a huge letdown.
4: I mean, even put, put the like type in bold or italics, <laughs> but like even, you know, even like, like. Stephen King, great writer. Obviously, like, even he will take shortcuts to this stuff sometimes where he's just like, I'm just throwing this passage in italics. I'm just throwing this in bold. I mean, lots of books do that. I don't know. Maybe they didn't, they hadn't invented (laughs) it. I
2: have read enough books in the 60s where a sequence like that would be like, Did you see the Buddha dot 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 line break? The Buddha dot 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 line break. That sort of like breakdown Mm of form to give it a feeling that it could have been done here. And instead, he presents. The patient's stories and returns to sanity, it's totally straight in the same as the rest of the prose, so you don't get any of that touch.
4: Did you guys get in your copy, I think you guys all have different copies than I did. There's like a an introduction by the author that's just like a couple of paragraphs where he's like thanking Samuel Fuller for writing such a great screenplay. Yeah. I have I have um,
2: one little bitty author's note. Yes.
4: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, again, I, think, I thought was really... It's
0: really short. I can read it. It's... Yeah, go ahead. Go for it, yeah. Author's note. It is standard operating procedure to precede a work of fiction with the statement, all persons, places, and events in this narrative are entirely fictitious, and any resemblance to any person, living or dead, is purely coincidental. But one would be hard put to deny the utter reality of Samuel Fuller's masterful screenplay, Shock Corridor.
4: So I thought that was really interesting. Like, I, And it, like, to me, reading it, I was, I was like, this is so faithful, and it must be because he really likes the screenplay. He said he really liked the screenplay at the beginning. Now I kind of wonder whether he put that in just to be like, Sam, I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. Let me up. <laughs> Publish the well, book. I, I checked again, and, uh, and it was... I fucked it up, was...
0: dude. I'm so sorry. The Wikipedia
3: page says that Sam Fuller tried to get it not to be published because of plagiarism. Which feels weird. That just feels
0: like you don't really know the game. Is this an unauthorized novelization? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea that Fuller just didn't understand what a novelization was. Yeah, maybe he was just like, I'm not getting paid for this. Or maybe he was like,
4: novelizations should be more different than this. This is my my (laughs) work. You're going to get paid for this? (laughs) Fuck no.
0: (laughs) It is interesting that the first page of this book that I'm looking at because it's right next to the author's note is more in line with what we're saying would be a satisfying way to depict his mental decay. It is formatted almost like a script or just lines of dialogue, right? You know, the first page I was going, Oh, we're really Mm -hmm. reading taxi driver. And then (laughs) almost immediately it dives into, no, this is just a normal book full of prose. And I write flowery, thoughts down and uh, I just don't edit them or whatever
2: there is definitely prose in this book that I like here's something that I like in the book that is not in the movie okay when Bowdoin draws the portrait of Johnny and when Which Johnny we don't get finally to see in the movie it, we ex- yes exactly it's crazy mm-hmm. we don't get to see it I wanted to see it especially having read the book first where the portrait is described as the face in the portrait was cold and hard the cheeks drawn and haggard the eyes wild and unreasoning with the glassy intensity of the confirmed psychotic that for the first time johnny looks at himself and is like i'm fucking nuts that can't be me <laughs> that man is nuts i i my time here has touched me in a way i didn't think it had in the movie it just seems like he's losing it for no reason and yeah. i it's crazy yeah, yeah. that we don't get to see something yeah there and i kept waiting for like okay he beats up bone he freaks out and then the doctor will be like look at this picture, let us all see. No, not there at all. So I, I appreciate in the book that he gives us that because that moment hits totally differently if you have some context for what John is seeing.
4: Although again, I think in the movie, he just wants to be able to like push you around to be like, <laughs> were you feeling normal for a second? Wrong, <laughs> no. Mm.
0: I think the end of the movie straight up moves too fast because from that point forward, he... I don't know why he's freaking out. He gets in the fight. Then he's in the hole, but then it cuts to him immediately being out of the hole and going, wow, rough time in the hole. That was crazy. And then at the end, when he has the vision of the water and and all that stuff, and it helps him realize who the killer is, his realization of, oh, he's at hydrotherapy is, what, one and a half seconds before he starts punching? It is so fast i i i felt disconcerted in a way where i felt like i didn't have a hold on what the plot was right like even though i had understood everything that led us to it especially since i read the book first i thought i still feel discombobulated why is he fighting this man which i don't think i should feel
4: i i don't know i think that like it's hard for movies to pull off this thing where they are constantly they want you to feel constantly unmoored and i think it is like If you get in the right rhythm with it, it can work. Uh, And it worked for me, but I definitely had the experience of that you're describing where I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But I was just kind of along for the ride at that point. And you kind of have to piece it back together afterwards. It's like you're not you're not anticipating at all. You're only reacting because you do end up you do end up understanding what's happened after the fact and not from the movie telling you just because the movie finally gives you a second to breathe and you have to go back and mm-hmm. um, piece together what you've just seen, mm-hmm. which I think is, is cool. Cause I think a lot of movies that try to do that, they, they end up either eventually having to spell it out for you or never really doing it. And then you're left with something that's ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Whereas here it's, it's unambiguous. It's just also, unpleasant and unclear in the moment.
0: I wish that this was a little more upsetting in its content. I think maybe that would have helped me uh understand what was going on a little bit more, especially the end. The black guy yelling ab- like that all <laughs> everything with him that wasn't upsetting. No, no. I him. that I don't
4: like I mean, do that. Do you
2: want to see mistreatment of patients? Kind
0: of. So here's here's my thing <laughs> is that what hearing about this movie you know, Ethan uh, brings it up as a possibility to do. And I, I just saw sort of the genre and I saw that people found it very upsetting and whatnot. And I was, I was hoping that it would be this very uh, lasciviously sexy, gross, you know, lots of murder, something I that that's, and and I, I do feel like you know, I'm very pro remake. I don't think remakes need to be as good as the original. It's fun to see what a cover version of a movie is. And I would definitely sit down and watch some Dopama wannabe, you know, uh do a version of this movie where yeah, there is some mistreatment of patients or at least the attempt at it, and there is like uh scenes with the strippers that make you worry about their safety and things like that, you know. I I would be there for it, and I, I felt like when he ran in at it's just the end. Not this
2: movie. It, what, it, you don't think that the DNA of that is in here? I think it. I think you could you could put it there, but I think in the way that this movie we discussed is not indicting the mental hospital. What you're asking for is the movie that indicts the mental hospital. It's just a different movie. Mm-hmm. It's not better, worse, or not there, but I think it's totally different.
0: The party line that everyone has agreed on, which I think I also agree with, I'm just catching up with everyone, is movie critical of America, critical of protagonist, not critical of institution.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's like, you know, thumbs upping the institution, but that's not the main target. Yeah.
3: That to me, that feels like an extension of its critique of America, where it's like, look at what we did to Mm -hmm. all of these people. Here's three examples. They're all pretty fucked up. All we know
2: what to do with them is to like stick them in a place, shuttle
3: them away, even if it's a place that is not the grimiest, not the most uh, abusive on screen representation of this. It's not to cut follies, it's not trying to be, but it's still a place where people get sexually assaulted and murdered and shock treated and stuff like that but
2: yeah
4: it's it's a place where it's like you don't want to say like it you don't want to go to the mental Mm -hmm. institution like that's not a good place to be it's not trying to go full cuckoo's nest like it we're like we wouldn't you wouldn't say like cuckoo's nest succeeded where shock cord or failed or didn't go far Uh enough like it's just that's just not the main point instead it's like yeah
3: we should take care of our veterans when they served and got fucked up we should have better resources for the people of color that we put in impossible situations and nuclear war does suck and intercontinental ballistic missiles are kind of the worst do we need
2: them if you think about it too hard (laughs) you might not want to live that way
3: yeah then you might go crazy and pretend like you're six because things are easier when you're six
1: I know I don't walk away from this uh, novel, at least, thinking hydrotherapy is a good idea. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Seems uncomfortable. It's it's not like we're seeing any of these treatments getting, like, great results for anybody. So it's, it's not an mm-hmm. endorsement on that level.
2: Yeah, I think the, the perspective of Shock Corridor is that this mental hospital is right down the middle of the line. Like, it's not really helping anybody, but it is taking care of these people. They're alive. They're well-fed. They they get to do things. They dance. They're trying to help them. May not be working. They're not beating them on the rag. Mm-hmm. That's fine.
1: They almost never get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty uncommon. We should stop them from getting murdered. We should surely, stop there's that.
4: There's a better way. <laughs> um, you know who would do a killer remake of this, though, Andrew? Who? Not that I think this movie should be remade, but Michael Bay would fucking crush it. I disagree. <laughs> no, dude, come on. I think uh, he did it with. We, the I
2: want to see him bring his crazy drone thing inside a building. I think if if you want some like disorienting film camera work, he could do it. His like weird ambulance spins. Put that in a hallway and I'm throwing <laughs> up at the theater. It's great. He
4: can, do, like, he can do grotesque, upsetting, and viscerally like effective like nobody else. And his stories also rarely make a lot of sense. So I don't know. I think it's kind of perfect.
2: I would be interested in a, re- a remake, quote unquote, that was essentially a reimagining, like you're saying, Andrew. I think there's space. For like the murder mystery in the asylum, which is kind of what Shutter Island is in many ways, but I like our protagonist. I like that his girlfriend is like, "Stop it!" (laughs) I like that element. I like
0: being your girlfriend, not your sister.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I would be. I would go into the theater with my arms crossed, but I'd be open to being won over. You know what I mean?
0: Just, just to double down on this point, my, (laughs) my whiplash at the ending and how quickly it moves. Is related to this idea of show me murder, show me you know uh, strippers in danger, and the 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 connection is that the the end of the movie feels ins- insanely unbelievable to me because he runs into this room right and he he beats up this guy that he believes is the killer on uh, pretty pretty shaky intel and under massive homicidal duress. The guy goes, okay, I killed the guy. And these people who are keeping our protagonist imprisoned go, you know what? We buy it. And the scene just cuts away yeah. and it's happy ending. Yeah. And I feel as though that would work better if there had been more scum, more filth Earlier in the movie, and yes, and I hate to say it, like I don't n- actually want to see him m- molesting an old woman on camera, but I would love to see indication of this guy's evil in in maybe a, a uh, some other way, some other bit of proof that he was the guy.
4: Yeah, you'd mm-hmm. like you'd like one of the breadcrumbs to be like, and I saw him hide his bloody um, orderly whites in this thing, and then he find he like goes. He like shows, like on top of getting him to confess, he goes and is like, and check the garbage can on floor three. And they check it and it's like, oh, that's got Wilkes' name on it. Damn, it was, it's all true.
2: I agree that it is unbelievable that they believe him when he points the finger at Wilkes. That's, (laughs) that makes no sense. I'm with you.
3: Even if, even if he, like, we see him confess, but it's like under so much duress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
2: really should be that he's like, it was him, it was him, and then everything after that is like essentially a dream. He d- they do not believe him. He does not get to write the article. And the last scene with Kathy, she really just be like, sorry, he just fucking broke. He beat this guy up, and he never spoke again. We don't know, but it I, doesn't I think make that sense there's... that he gets to write I, I think... the article. I get it. I agree.
0: And then he goes crazy right when it's when it right when he hits pub. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of
4: things. According to Andrew, not, but a lot of things that you could get away with in the 60s that we might not think of. But I do think one tough thing, probably, for movies back then was having, letting the bad guy get away with it. I think that that was probably a really tough sell for audiences sure. um, and for, you know, any studio, even if independent, making these movies. So I do think that, like, a good point. they probably, there's probably an element play here where I was like yeah I mean you've got to have it so that the bad guy gets locked up at the end you can do whatever you want to this good guy but the bad guy's got to go to
0: jail at the end it just feels to me like I I feel like I did a bad job of of connecting why filth outside is necessary for the catching the killer inside it just feels to me like a lot of this plot is based in unsavory concepts that to some degree it doesn't want to engage with. And I would like to see across the board more of like the reality of these horrifying topics that this guy has voluntarily stepped into.
4: I don't, but to me, it's not that it doesn't want to engage with them. It engages with them, but it stops short of preaching to you about it or telling you how you're supposed to feel about it. Okay. It presents them, it shows you the fallout, And then it leaves you to be the one to be like, how do I feel about this? This is more of a movie thing than a book thing. But some of my favorite
3: moments in terms of performance and in terms of content from the movie are the scenes where Johnny is actually like interviewing these people. It's like once they have their flashes of being lucid, like the way you see him lean in, it's almost like. There, there's like a path that presents itself where if he was more interested in them and more interested in their stories instead of just using them as the stepping stone to, to solve the murder and get that Pulitzer, like the stories are there and the connection that he seems to have with them is there. You can tell he's a good reporter. It's just that, yeah, he decided to pursue this totally other sort of goal, which, yeah is righteous solving a murder is a good way to spend your time i would say but like the the humans are being overlooked the humans that he's sitting across even when you can tell he's connecting with them he refuses to actually indulge that and then he just runs basically
2: i think if this movie was grimier about the institution i would find it to be really just gross across the board like i think it would be exploitative in a way that i don't respond well to I don't like, and it's bad enough that it kind of feels like the message of this movie in some ways is exposure to insanity will make you insane. Mm-hmm. That you cannot be around madness without yourself going mad, which I'm not sure is true and I think is a little cruel, <laughs> that we should isolate the insane and so that they don't infect the rest of us, basically.
4: I don't think that that's true because you don't see the orderlies or the doctors going insane.
2: I mean, what what is happening with Johnny then? That- you know but
4: they. i think they put such an emphasis on his obsession with winning the pulitzer prize Mm -hmm. i think that that's to show that he has his own kind of sickness already and that this is his comeuppance not some inevitable result and even though it doesn't say this to you because again i don't think the movie's big into yeah yeah telling you what to think but like that you could go into the mental institution and say, "I would like to interview the patients and give me a chance to crack this murder." If you went in that way instead of being like, "I'm going to embed myself, pretend like I'm crazy so that I can," <laughs> that's write a awesome great point. Why story, was this necessary? You might get the same. I thought about that. Right, it, but that's the thing we we've been saying that the whole time. Like, there's surely there's a better way to solve this murder, and this guy chose the most, the like most self centered version of it, and gets what he deserves. Out yeah, of and that's there. where
3: the sort of. That's where like the morality play comes in for me.
4: Is like he just fucked yeah.
3: around and found out, man. He he yeah. wasn't focused yeah. on the right yeah. thing. His
2: profession is his voice. He loses that completely.
4: But I do think now, like you would, if they if there was a remake, there would have to be more of an acknowledgement of like it's not the crazy people who made him crazy. Okay, it's that he's a bad guy. Like they would spell that out for you more because there would be people who are saying what you're saying, Hannah, where it's just like, hey,
0: let's be clear. We're
4: not stigmatizing mental illness on this.
0: The way I felt peace about this topic was, to me, the people in the mental hospital are necessarily different from Johnny in the sense that they ended up there because, you know, they went through experiences that landed them there and they have some thought in their head, maybe that is the seed of whatever mental illness it is, right? It's the thing they struggle with. But Johnny opted into a thought, and he planted in his own head this false thing, Kathy is my sister. And I found it very satisfying, the way the book engages with this creeping thought that he knows is false getting into his subconscious and then eventually manifesting as something he occasionally believes. I mean, did you guys just think the dream was really stupid? I like the crib dream. I do not remember the crib dream.
2: I don't remember that at all.
0: So on page 92, uh, he, he's, he's sleeping, and it's a very short passage, all in italics. It says, what a beautiful child, Mrs. Barrett. Oh, yeah. Isn't he? We're going to call him John. A baby in a crib, cooing and gurgling. Then the baby is a boy, yeah. standing before another crib, in which another infant tosses relentlessly. Now you have a baby sister, John. What's her name, Mommy? Kathy. And I like this because he wakes up He wakes up from it. Uh, it says, Johnny Barrett woke up the next morning with another of his violent splitting headaches. Trent was sleeping soundly. I got the feeling, because the next time he talks to Kathy, he's, he still knows that she's his girlfriend. I, I got the feeling that he... Woke up from that going, what on earth was that? That was alarming. Which is a, a compelling way to introduce that he's succumbing to the thought. He has a stage where he's able to recognize its disturbingness, but also that it's, it's insidiously taking him over.
4: I, I have to say that, that you just reading that dream to me feels a lot like the dream I described in the conversation. It feels <laughs> very on the nose. In the future,
0: in the game. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> like I to me, I find it so much more horrifying when that hits you like a ton of bricks in the movie, and he pushes her off for the first time, and you're like, oh my god, he really is starting to think that she's his. No, sister. I'm like with he Hannah. Is he, it
0: seems like he pushes her off because she forgot they're in a little play.
4: No, I don't think so. I in the movie, the way that I read it was immediately that like he. Because he has all sorts of, like, subtle ways of communicating her w- with her throughout. I think that for him, she he, like, to, I, I at least read that scene as he's, he really is starting to slip. He doesn't even remember the reality of why he's here anymore, mm-hmm. and he's starting to go truly insane.
2: I love the ambiguity for all of us, because... <laughs> I mean, the, the so compared to the first time Kathy comes to visit him, where he says to her, like, I'm really close. One of the other patients is going to crack. I know it. I feel it. And then he says the exact same thing to her again. And she's like, oh, my God, he's losing his mind, which does feel like that's a little spooky. In the movie, it doesn't feel spooky at all. It feels like, yeah, he's just kind of saying it colloquially. I, he's so excited about it, right? Doesn't feel weird. And the second time, to me, still feels like he feels very cogent and sane up until the moment he f- beats Bowdoin, to me, in the movie. Um, and it's so cool that we all read this a little differently. That's the magic yeah. of the movies, baby.
0: <laughs> I thought for sure we were going to come on here and go, uh, great movie, a lot of fun, voiceover stupid as bricks. I, I, a, lot of the, a lot of the formal choices of the movie... Uh, I like the color dreams and and I I, I like the editing, but a lot of the formal choices of the movie, I just thought were so sort of cheesy and ineffective. And it is interesting that you guys, that they worked for you.
4: Yeah. I think the voiceover, a there's times where it's very funny and then like the nymphos (laughs) still gets me. But yeah, to me, I think it really, it puts you in his mind, which is not a comfortable place to be because he's going to go insane. So I think it's important that it puts you in there with him.
2: I do kind of wish that the voiceover tapered off as the film went on, that we get less and less access to him and less and less of his voice so that by the time that he is a catatonic mute, we have Mm -hmm. completely lost him. And I don't think the movie is doing that thoughtfully or at all. That's a thing that I think would be cool.
4: I think that there's two things with that. One is that I think they would have a hard time expressing his what's happening when he can't speak anymore, when he's realizing he can't speak anymore without the voiceover. But also again, I like, I don't think that Fuller in general, and definitely not in this movie is trying to build up formal patterns Mm -hmm. and then resolve them in a way that feels natural or predictable at all. You know, like I, I, I do think that part of it is that there's no, uh, you can't find an organizing principle for a lot of the formal choices in the movie. It's just what's most effective at any given time, which is adds to the chaos. And I started off by saying, I don't want to, I never want to watch the movie again, but I have to say talking about it with you guys again, I'm
0: sort of feeling like maybe it might be time for a rewatch. <laughs> I just find this, you guys are making such intelligent points and I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't mean to, in any way, say that the points aren't valid. It's just very hard for me to engage with or to respond to the argument that everything I found dissatisfying about the movie is intentional discomfort. Is on purpose. Yeah, I know, I know. I hate that. Yeah.
2: It's okay that we all felt that we, you and we felt differently about this film, Mander. It's okay. No,
0: I think it's great. I'm really
4: having you are a good smart.
0: time. <laughs> e-
4: <laughs> everybody's entitled to their wrong opinion you
2: know? i mean this is the sort of movie where like sometimes you know you talk to somebody about, about a film and you disagree on the basic facts of what the movie is doing and you look at the other person and go like you're a fucking idiot right <laughs> like, you just don't understand yeah, the movie yeah, because yeah. you're dumb and that's not what's happening here at all <laughs> like it's a rich text with a lot of pieces and a lot of moving configurations that will will hit everybody a little differently and feel different from our life experiences and whatever. And like you're smart and your perspective is super valid on this one. I don't yeah. think you're dumb on this I one. I appreciate
4: that. I would have loved to see this in a theater with people mm. and like come right out of the movie and start talking about <laughs> it. Because I think it would be a real fun treat. And just like being in a place with everybody feeling that uncomfortable, I think is always really powerful too.
0: I mean one thing that we are having a disagreement about like i mean it's nice that we all have different interpretations of the movie but i'm the only person out here defending this book book good <laughs> good book okay he leaves the ward and we get this thing this repeated motif about the the patheticness of all the people he got to know right pretty good uh uh he saw i do agree i like yeah, sorry go ahead
4: my point about the book is is not that it's a bad book just that it is so I think mostly redundant of the movie and like a worse version of the movie that like, I wouldn't say don't read this book, but I would say read the movie. And once you watch the movie and then once you've watched the movie, you're probably not going to get that much from the book. So
2: yeah, I'm glad that I read the book first. I would have liked it a lot less had I seen the movie.
0: I may have as well. Yeah. I made this,
4: I made this mistake last time where I watched the movie and then read the book. And I was like, this is the wrong way to do it.
0: Yeah. It's hard to believe, but you watched, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, and then the book couldn't live up to that. It truly (laughs) couldn't. Yeah, Yeah, well, I'd seen the movie like 20 times. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Extremely potent, I thought, was this leaving the the ward scene because it's very in line with with what we're talking about of the theme of these people we've sort of shunted to the edges of society. Uh, He's gotten to know the three witnesses, right? And as he leaves, it says he saw Stuart, Busy at a bench with some new plan for Gettysburg, his eyes far away from communism, the bigoted parents, the shock treatments of the present. He did not say goodbye to Stuart. The childish insanity of Stuart was unbearable. He saw Trent, the dark, black face of mockery, beneath the still white placard that said, integration and democracy don't mix, gonna skip the slur. Trent was wildly exhorting, his arms windmilling, his eyes blazing. The taunt was ready to spring from his lips. The command poised for utterance. And then we end again with, uh, the reverse insanity of Trent was unbearable. He saw Bowden hunched over his drawing pad, sketching away, his legs crossed like a Hindu beneath him. The strong adult face robbed of intelligence by the mental condition was as naive as a child's. Even the keen eyes were child keen, mischievous. He did not say goodbye to Bowden. The blasphemous insanity of Bowdoin was unbearable. I thought it was effective. He gets in. He thinks they're weird. He gets to know them. He sees that they have been mistreated. He gets out his memory of that experience, his emotional memory, totally wiped clean by the prospect of of victory and the Pulitzer and everything. I loved it.
2: I think in the same way that all of them have taken their awful experiences and turned them into something palatable, he has done the same by going like, these are not. these are not bearable conditions these Mm. people you know another hint towards madness who knows Mm. uh i mean he gets home he writes the story a long hello to kathy (laughs) they fuck a (laughs) bunch and then he just like totally retreats inside himself and never comes out again he was saying to write the story uh i do really like that um I mean, the image in the movie where she puts his arms around her and his hands are just like Mm. miserable claws is pretty evocative, not totally captured in the book, but Johnny Barrett was dead, long live the mute catatonic, pretty punchy. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna give the book that <laughs> one. There's
3: good punchy lines for sure. I think like the the fact that he's such an accomplished pulp writer that can just give you those little oh, that's a good little mm-hmm. line.
4: That is the real joy of reading the book. Yeah, I would be curious to read an Avalon like original mm. and see what that's all about.
2: Yeah, I bet they're kind of fun. Like the pulpiness of this is there and pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this ends, which the movie does not, with basically Kathy being admitted. That she's, she couldn't handle what happened to her boyfriend. And she, too, is admitted. <laughs> the cycle continues. <laughs> forever.
0: This is weird. The, the, the final chapter. This is very odd. So what, under what pretenses are they trying to admit her? Because they ask her about, did your brother smell your hair a lot? They're trying to get her on the same thing that they got Johnny on But they're still framing her as the victim. How do you lock someone up by being like, are you sure you got armed robberied? We're putting you in jail. I I don't get it. I think
2: her condition is essentially unrelieved melancholy, which we have seen elsewhere in the book. Okay. That she's just like, I mean, it identifies her as a zombie. She just isn't herself anymore. She isn't a person in the world. She can't be. And they're trying to find the cause of it. And like, is it? Some unresolved sexual problem from your boyfriend? Like you spent too much time brothering him and now you're <laughs> fucked up? Like, what is it? <laughs> you know, maybe.
0: The mental health industry is going great recently. We got a reporter pretending to be into his sister. It wasn't actually a sister, but then we got paid for how traumatized the sister got. We're helping her out now. Hey, the
2: corridor waits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hannah Blackman.
2: Uh-huh.
0: You are a uh, undercover reporter who has just solved a murder, and you feel great mentally. Yeah. You get home, you fire up your typewriter. you pound out this, uh, this story. It takes you, you know, eight days to write. You get it absolutely perfect. People are going to be reading it for decades. The moment. That you finish this story, you submit to utter catatonic insanity, mm-hmm. and the only thing that you dream in your stupor is of the text of Shock Corridor by Michael Avalon. Do you think that that would be a a good a good one to have lupin?
2: Um, in this specific scenario, no. I don't think it would help me or really entertain me in the ways that I would need mm. for the rest of my life. In general, I. I have no... I mean, this book is fine. It amused me. It interested me. I think it's sort of basic (laughs) in some ways. Um, But as Ethan was saying, I like the story of the shock corridor. So I had some fun with this one. And I had never even heard of this movie. And now I've seen it. And I really like it. And I think it's really cool. And I think it's going to be a movie that I like think about and reference for the rest of my life. So thank you, book of the shock corridor. (laughs) (laughs) But no thank you
0: to its author. Ethan Warren, (laughs) you are a patient at a mental hospital, and your favorite activity is hydrotherapy. Don't worry, no one's getting molested in this (laughs) one. Unfortunately, because the guy who does the hydrotherapy turned out to be a murdering molester, hydrotherapy is suspended for a while, and they instead send you to something called Avalone Therapy, which it turns out is the dictation of shock corridor by michael Avalone. do you think you'd enjoy hearing and writing down this book
1: i mean look it sounds like a good activity and you just got to fill the hours when you're living in shock corridor um (laughs) so i guess so i don't know i don't think there's that much to recommend this book i think that it's just the movie but lacking a lot of what makes the movie interesting So um, I would not recommend this book to anybody. Um, I would would just point them towards the movie instead, I think.
0: Gus Spellman, you are Kathy's actual brother. (laughs) You go to Thanksgiving with your sister and you say, Hey sis, what's up? What have you been up to? She tells you a story that makes you kind of not want to be her brother and not be (laughs) near her. So you leave Thanksgiving dinner saying, you know, I got to take a dump or whatever uh you're sitting on the toilet for as long as possible and you find that the only thing she has on the back of the toilet is a copy of <laughs> shock corridor by michael avalon do you think that would be a good 45 minute fake defecation <laughs> um
4: if i had seen the movie beforehand then no i don't think so if i hadn't seen the movie beforehand yeah i think i would probably have uh Find time with it. Um, I don't know if I would be sneaking back in to like take another fake shit to finish the book or <laughs> whether I would later be like, hey, could I borrow Shot Corridor later? Um, yeah, it's really like, I feel like we shot on the book a lot and it's really no disrespect to the book. It's just very similar to the movie and I would say a thoroughly inessential companion
0: mm. to an excellent film. Fair. Mm. Fair. Hannah saved me. I ran out.
2: Yeah, of course. Matt Darnell, you are a newspaper publisher. Oh, yeah. You have a (laughs) bunch of good reporters working for you, and you love them. You're trying to support their careers, their personal lives, the whole thing. One of them does a crazy project where he gets himself committed to solve a murder, and what he emerges with is the novelization of Shock Corridor. (laughs) You're going to publish it? Do you feel good about the product he came out with?
3: Uh, I would say, you know, this is an interesting story. Uh, It'd be really great as a movie. Uh, I might even say (laughs) it is better as a movie. Uh, Y'all said it best. I don't think the book gives you a lot of supplementary ideas or, or texture that the movie doesn't give you, but the pulp writing is fun in the book. But I really do think there is something, yeah, truly special about this movie, Uh, almost because it's so rough. But, you know, the the fuck around and find out element of it, I think, is fun. I like Sam Fuller a lot, so the bias may be showing. But um, even though this is one of his looser, maybe more unfocused movies, I think that is more a reflection of, I don't know, ambition and how wide his interests are than anything. Good movie.
2: Andrew Overby. Hi. You are a woman who believes that stripping isn't stripping if you aren't taking all of your clothes off. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and you work. Look, you under you have a opening clear a rock star
0: during the final review. Opening <laughs> a rock star.
2: I'm wow, proud of you, Andrew. Way to go. Uh, get hyped. Well, you are that lady, and you worked at a nightclub, but you only dance. You know, like once a night, but you still have to be there all night just in case, I guess. You got time to kill in between dances, and one of your fellow strippers shows up with a copy of Shock Corridor, which she says her boyfriend is the basis for, (laughs) and you're like, girl, yike, about you in general, but curious about your situation. So you read it. Do you like it? Do you hand it off to your other stripper friends?
0: Hannah, I like it so much that just like the woman with the balloons in this book, my whole thing in stripping becomes I—I'm uh, a stripper who's nude except for three strategically placed copies of Shock Corridor by Michael Avellone. <laughs> <laughs> I like the book. I like the book a lot. I read it first. I uh, found it to be, you know, so uh, so economic, so so just quick. And it literally is a book where on the second or third page, someone goes, are you really about to go undercover in a freaking shock corridor to try to find a killer because you want a Pulitzer? (laughs) And I went, yeah, just shove that plot down my throat. I'm ready. Let's. I mean, truly, watching the movie takes an hour 40. And I think the reading time on this thing was two hours 45. It was just almost uh, the exact same time buy-in. And I I had a great time. Uh, I really liked the movie as well even though as i said some things didn't totally work for me but like you said Hannah i'm going to be thinking about this movie all the time i'm going to be talking about this movie all the time i might even check out what do we call it the big red one mm-hmm.
2: i'm definitely going to check mm-hmm. out crimson kimono that sounds right up yeah, my same. alley same, the big
0: yeah. red one is what i uh, is what i call uh friday the 13th uh, jason's uh. curse <laughs> 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 Uh, real, real authorized fans will get that one. Anyway, <laughs> I love this book, and I loved this movie, and I had a great time talking about it with four of my friends. Gus, you're a, uh, a tantalizingly anonymous man. You love to not plug anything when you come on. So instead, would you give our listeners some recommendations for film you've enjoyed recently?
4: Here, I'll plug my letterbox. It's Infinity Butts 69. <laughs> Follow me on there.
0: That's the attitude I need the Shock Corridor remake
4: to have. <laughs> Michael Bay can get it done for you, baby. I'm telling you. Let's see. What, did I, what have I watched? Oh, Cade the Tortured Crossing. I don't know if you guys are Neil Breenhead's. Really fun stuff to uh, go watch in a movie theater. Just absolutely reprehensible garbage. (laughs) Um, Smile, better than I expected. No, get out. Get the fuck out of here. Sorry. And you know what? Uh, One that I did really like, Deadstream. I love Uh, Deadstream. A lot of people probably, yes. Deadstream, a lot of fun. Um, The guy in that Talk about a committee. Incredible. He's so funny. <laughs> yeah, liked, uh, liked that a lot.
0: Deadstream, for, for those who have not seen, a, uh, a, a YouTube guy who uh, decides to spend a night in a haunted house. And while, while shit gets... Which turns out to be actually Which haunted, turns out to be yeah. actually haunted. And, and as, as shit gets more and more real, he really does not change his persona so much. <laughs> But he, he really gets the persona He's so, so wow. funny, yeah. Well, Gus, it was wonderful to have you back. Thank you for coming on to talk, Shock Corridor. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Always really fun.
2: And Ethan, thank you for bringing this to us. I'm glad that we read it and saw yeah. it and discussed it.
1: You are so welcome.
0: Definitely. To our listeners, please do remember to rate our podcast review, subscribe. Also, if you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, in which... You write a paragraph novelizing a scene from your favorite film. We will read it on the air and try to guess what movie it is from. So, you know, don't be too obvious. Don't put character names in, you dummy.
2: Has anybody done it yet? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) Love it. Love this. No, no, no. I I can't wait for us to really take off, and then we have to do like 40 of them a week. Yes. Has anyone
0: ever heard the end of an authorized episode? Made it all the way to the end? Uh, probably not. Uh, do are there are there legions of listeners who, when I mention a game during an episode, they go, "What game?" I don't know what that means because they've never gotten to the end of an episode. Probably.
2: <laughs> I love the idea of someone who's like, "I love your podcast, but I only like the first twenty minutes, and then I really check out." <laughs> but I love those. No, yeah. It's not you.
4: I have I have gotten into a bad habit where I'll put a podcast in while I'm getting into bed, and I'll only get about twenty minutes in before I fall asleep, and then I'll wake up the next day, and I'll be like, oh, I played this whole podcast, huh? Okay. Well, <laughs>
0: well I, I also sometimes I get scared. addicted to the, the feeling of beginning an episode, right? So if I get, uh, of something. So if I get 45 minutes an hour in, and there's 45 minutes left, the next day I go, I don't know, I want that fun energy they have right at the start. And as usual, I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please do tweet at Authorized Pod if you think that you recognize what this is from. Kathy, before we commit your brother for being incestuous about you, tell me, when did he first get that way? Oh, I think it was when he pulled my pigtails as we hopped on pop. (laughs) Good night. In Shock Corridor, there are of course many characters suffering from some manner of delusion, some type of uh, belief that they are a person, that they aren't, etc., etc. And in the spirit of that, I want to ask you, Ethan, Matt, Hannah, and Gus, was this character's conspiracy theory correct?
2: Kind of a stretch, but okay.
0: You know, in their delusion, were they correct?
2: Uh huh, okay. Yeah. What do you
0: think, Matt? You think it's a stretch? A little bit of a stretch, but something like a great game.
2: <laughs> nobody yeah, I can't wait to play nobody it. Nobody
0: gets how it connects.
1: I think it's all going to be borne out in the game.
0: Maybe <laughs> I just maybe I should have worded it differently. It's like <laughs> the 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 main character of Shock Corridor. He thinks that there's this murder, and then he thinks this one guy did it. Is he right? You know? That, yeah, that's, that's sort of a little better.
4: <laughs> that also rolls well, off this- the tongue a little bit more easily too.
0: Was this character's delusion correct? Maybe a better title?
2: Sure. Great. Can't wait to play the game.
0: All right. Up first, was this character's delusion correct? (laughs) One point for the movie, one point for the yes or no. Hannah. Hannah, of course, uh, Gus, in case you don't remember, buzz in with your first name, (laughs) Hannah.
2: (laughs) Independence Day, yes.
0: This is, of course, Randy Quaid playing some guy in Independence Day whose name I couldn't remember with a gun to my head. And uh, yes, it was correct. Okay, up next. Was this character's conspiracy theory correct? Ooh, Matt. Matt Dartnell. Um, what are we looking at? It's
3: Bill Paxton in Frailty and... I want to say it's ambiguous at the end. I think for him, his delusion was accurate, but I can't remember where it lands at the end. So I'm lobbying for half a point.
5: How's
4: this? How's this movie? How's this movie? It's awesome. Good stuff. Okay. I'm glad you don't remember then. You know, like yeah.
3: That. <laughs> Cause I, I, I do think that it's kind of like it, it, it leaves it up to the viewer from what I remember. Am I crazy?
0: Gus, he doesn't remember, but I'm going to say what I thought it was. So there's okay. that. I'm just going to take my headphones off, and then I won't know what she said. <laughs> it sounds good. Close your eyes, too. Uh, yes, this of course, from the, the movie Frailty, directed by Bill Paxton. And the answer is, uh, yeah, he really, he's an absolute <laughs> psycho for the whole thing. And then he turns out to be right. He's, like, sent by God or something.
2: I'm going to give Matt both points.
0: Here's my question about the poster. Uh, it's terrible? I have my issues with faces on posters, and I, I did this on Panic Room. But um, Dan Stevens.
2: Yeah, or like Billy Baldwin.
4: No. Wait, I'm going with um, Jesse from Breaking Bad.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. It's got an Aaron Paul to it. Very Interesting. true. None of these people are in the movie, by the way. It it must be supposed to be McConaughey, right? Because it no.
1: Oh, that's McConaughey for sure. Yeah. Is it? Yeah.
2: Bill Paxton's not rocking
1: stubble. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's a great point.
2: It looks so much like Billy Baldwin to me. That's all I can see.
4: Paxton famously could not grow stubble, so gotta be famously made that up. Lie. Total lie. (laughs) Oh, okay. That doesn't make sense. Terrible thing to be remembered for. Also, he has yes. like a five o'clock
0: shadow in the picture. Yeah, in the picture. <laughs> makeup, hair, and makeup. Paxton department. famously couldn't hold an axe in a, in a interestingly lit warehouse. <laughs> Up next, was this character's delusion correct?
1: Ooh, Ethan? Hannah. Oh.
0: Ethan Warren.
1: <laughs> well, this is uh, Leo DiCaprio in Shutter Island. And uh, this, his, his delusion was not correct. This movie is really the, the tragic uh, stripping away of, of all of his delusions until he has left uh, a shattered husk of a man. And then he gets to start all over. Couldn't have put
0: it better myself. Leonardo DiCaprio playing a character who's like a little boy play acting the whole movie, but he doesn't know it. <laughs> in Shutter Island, and it's a big no. Up next... Was this character's delusion? Correct.
1: Oh, Ethan? Ethan Warren. Is this the real life man Randy Quaid?
0: This is of course the real life man Randy Quaid. <laughs> oh.
5: So I'm
1: gonna go with no. His various <laughs> delusions, which sadly seem based in, in real sort of uh, you know, inner turmoil um, and, and unwellness, are have not been proven to be correct.
0: This man's delusions are Legion, and so far He's O for a million.
2: <laughs> oh dear.
0: Up next, what are his big? Was, what are his big conspiracy theories? He um believes in the Star Killers. This is the biggest one. So he he believes that there are uh, people specifically sent, I think, by the government to assassinate uh, famous actors. And not to be mean to this guy, who has given many great performances in decades past but he seems to also think he is still a prominent enough actor that they're really out for him. Fascinating. Fascinating. Up next, was this character's delusion correct? Matt. Matt Dartnell.
3: (laughs) Uh, It's Michael Douglas in the game. He thinks that people are out to get him. He thinks his life is falling apart. It is. It's been a big birthday present that we want to ruin your life. I can't remember what the motivation is for than that, but I think
0: they think it'll be fun for him, right?
2: To have his life ruined?
0: Yeah. They do actually think that it will be fun for him. Yeah. (laughs) Wait. So uh, Matt, you're, you're answering. Yes.
3: Yes. 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 His delusion is correct.
0: This is of course, Michael Douglas in the game. And I'm saying no, because he thinks that his life is for real falling apart. And it's a game
4: yeah his delusion is wrong it's just he's having fun and he was wrong that he wasn't having any fun
2: (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen this movie but like in what ways does his life fall apart
4: I think they like murder people that he knows and then make it look like like he did it but it's it's all fake fake. and he
2: thinks it's real and he feels that his life is falling apart Uh and that people are out to get him and people are out to get him, but it's for fun. Yeah. What
4: do you get the man who has everything?
0: A line <laughs> from the movie.
2: A saw trap. <laughs> well, it is it is
0: kind of jigsaw-y in the sense that it, 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 uh, Sean Penn in this movie is like a jigsaw who has no interest in killing the victims. He's like, I just want them to live a little. So I'll give them <laughs> a little adventure.
3: Yeah, I know? don't even know if it's like a learn to appreciate what you have kind of model, it feels even more stretched than that. Right.
0: No,
4: I don't think it's like I think it, there there's like an opportunity where he could have learned that, but then he ends up not learning it and then they're <laughs> all like, well, this was a good time, wasn't it? The end of this movie. Literally it, just actually, them going, that was who, crazy. Who would do a better job like getting the other? Sean Penn in the game getting Jigsaw from Saw? Or Jigsaw from Saw getting Sean Penn from the oh, game. Oh, Sean Penn is so out of his element. Jigsaw is going to See, I would say that, that Jigsaw
2: rarely succeeds in teaching anybody the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like maybe Sean them? Penn does. That's
4: true. Well, but no, but I don't think he does. He doesn't succeed in teaching a lesson and he's not even interested in it. <laughs> but also, I guess, yeah, I don't
2: know if... I bet he could show Jigsaw a good time in a game though. Yeah. If that's his goal, then... He could probably achieve it. Jigsaw seems like fun when he's not doing murders.
0: The, the plot of Saw X apparently is that Jigsaw goes and does some stuff, like he's the protagonist. I would love it if he got himself into a harrowing situation and Sean Penn from The Game came out at the end. He's like, I just wanted you to live a little, you know, because of the cancer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see that movie at midnight with you, Andrew. Over it's going
0: gonna, gonna to be wonderful. Up next... Uh still kind of trying to come up with a better title. Was this person's paranoia justified? Hannah Hannah Blackman.
2: Mrs. Michael Bean in the abyss, wherein he thinks some aliens are trying to kill humanity. but also he I mean, he thinks it's Russia. But he is right that they're trying to destroy humanity, but he's wrong that it's Russia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hannah, I'll give you the point for the movie, but I fundamentally disagree. The movies are or the a- a- aliens are not malevolent in this No, they
2: totally are going to wipe us all off the face of the planet, Andrew, and then the love that Ed Harris feels for a woman changes their mind.
0: Well, his delusion that they're Russians is wrong.
4: All right.
2: Fine. (laughs) Fine. Why'd you go the
0: French
4: DVD cover? (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's what I watch it in every time. (laughs) Up next, was this character's delusion justified? Gus. Gonna... Gus Spelman. Gus,
2: take it. Uh,
4: this is uh, Christian... Um, what's his name? From Memento? And yes, but he gets a lot of things wrong.
0: <laughs> this is, of course, the uh, Guy Pierce character from Memento. Uh, I had it as no. He's, his whole reason for being is incorrect. He's trying to find his wife's killer, but he... Spoilers, spoilers to the whole game already fucking did. Anyway, he's you, wrong. You
4: gotta give me, you gotta give me none for none because I also got his name wrong. It's Guy got, <laughs> <laughs> no, you knew the movie. Not you Christian.
0: A uh... I just assumed that you meant that this was the character's name. And I was like, surely sh- he's.
2: Yeah, to me, he's Mr. Memento. So. He is Mr. Memento. He's as yeah. As true yeah. as anything.
0: And I gotta say, I love this new habit of you saying, go ahead and take it to people who beat you to the punch anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm so gracious She's
0: so
3: used to winning <laughs>
4: fun, fun fact about me I hate this movie <clears throat> oh. Least favorite Which is funny that it's the only one that I was able to buzz in on it's Your so hatred's
0: great. so strong it, it, it takes up space in your mind Up next Was this character's delusion Born out as true
1: Just keeps getting wordier
2: Hannah
0: Hannah Blackman
2: this is Henry Zerny in the hide or hide and seek movie, which is not the title, but I don't remember what. Ready or not, no, something you well, know. If what it I were, mean. what would his? If it were, the answer is yes, because his family be cursed.
0: This is, of course, Henry Zerny as the patriarch of the weird family in Ready or Not, and uh, mm-hmm. the answer is yes. They do not kill the protagonist by the end of the movie, and then the whole family explodes.
2: Hey, Google, deal with the devil, real or not?
0: (laughs) Up next, was this character's delusion ultimately rooted in reality and reflective of the world at large? Gus. Gus Spellman. It's Gene Hackman from...
4: This is another movie I really don't like. What? Uh, Yeah, the conversation. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Oh, you like the dream scenes? You like the dream scenes in this movie? Hang on, let me do the dream scene from this movie. Here's Gene Hackman walking through a, uh, like, walking in a cloud. Literally walking in a cloud. Billowing smoke, billowing. Yeah, (laughs) and and recounting a dream he had about his mom one time. And that's the dream sequences from this movie. It's a movie without subtext uh without anything going on emotionally beneath the surface not a fan of this movie i believe it turns out to be not i think it is slightly ambiguous um because he can never find any evidence that they have
0: we're dealing in absolutes here here guys it's yeses (laughs) and nos you gotta land on a yes or a no
4: I'm not going to even bother to answer that. I'll give it the point then because I think it's- Who
0: thinks? Yes, no. Was he correct in his theory? Yes. All
4: right. I haven't
2: seen the movie and I'm guessing yes. This is,
0: of course, Gene Hackman from The Conversation. And the answer is, of course, no. He completely had the wrong people- pinned as the villains uh before you know just in regards to gus saying the conversation is a bad movie uh i don't (laughs) want anyone to listen to gus's movie opinions and 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 think they're really good because he sounds so smart without telling you that one time he just said to me uh i like that greedo shoots first yeah (laughs) our final slide was this character's delusion correct matt matt Darnell. Uh, Samaritan
3: Cotillard in Inception I think Her delusion would have been That The dream world They were living in uh, Was Was not real Coming for the
0: steal, somebody Was not too real long.
3: And so she needed to kill herself To get out of the dream world But then she killed herself and she died for real I don't know again the 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 riddle answer. Not sure if that plays,
0: but Ethan, what do you think?
1: Uh, I haven't heard him say I yes. Think, or I no. think no. I think no.
2: I think no. I also want to say that when this first popped up, I had one of those like Andrew trickery like trauma responses where I was like, okay, but this is a picture of Marion Cotillard, who is a figment of Leo's imagination in this moment. So
3: (laughs) That's how I feel answering all of these ones that I've gotten half right.
1: I haven't seen this movie since it came out. So my my (laughs) guess was very much based on 10 years of recollection.
0: Hannah, it's up to your discretion who gets the point because my interpretation of this is that her thesis is that what we understand to be the real world is itself a dream world, and that is the exact thing that Nolan refuses to reveal, so I think this is completely undetermined.
1: <laughs> after question. You, after you, you, you yelled at us. Yeah, yeah, you yelled at us last <laughs> time that
4: it would had to be a yes or no. And by the way, the conversation, that is deliberately left ambiguous, so, you know what? Eat shit, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, eat shit.